Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in 2 Peter. We're in chapter 1 and we'll begin reading today in verse 10. We'll begin in verse 10. I think we had read verse 10 last week, but we will begin there this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, always pause when there is a therefore. It means the word is tying something in with the past that's been spoken. Perhaps probably the most significant, therefore, in Scripture is found in Romans 12. Because for 11 chapters, Paul gives us doctrine. And then, therefore, he uh, begins chapter 12 with the application of that doctrine. Here's a therefore. He has given us, Peter has already spoken to us about things that we need, virtues, building blocks that we need in our life. And we've preached about them already. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We admire them sometimes. We preach them sometimes. We admonish people to embrace them quite often. We compare how well we do versus others sometimes. But he says, practice these qualities. If you do, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will, will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration as in our last verse but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 10 again, we'll begin there. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Our calling and election by God. God choosing us, not us choosing him. Our relationship based on his decision to love us, not on our decision to love him. 
I made the statement this morning with the men in the prayer room. I said, if someone asked me, what would you do if you could go back 40-something years and start all over again? And I know I, that would have to all be accordance to God's will, but I can tell you something that I wished I could redo. I would love to go back, and I know I would emphasize more than ever our identity as a Christian in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I, I really think that we've missed it as pastors, and I, I think I know why. We preachers have this, this incredible fear that people will misbehave if, if we tell them too much good stuff. Now, that's a crude way of putting it, but I'll tell you what I've learned over the years preaching to people hellfire and brimstone, and we need to preach on all of that stuff. But if you think that will make people behave, you are sadly mistaken. I, I, I remember, you know, people talking about the death penalty in the past and talking about, well, that would stop it if we'd start, you know, putting them to death. It, 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 statistically, I have to tell you, that's not true. Because fear is a terrible motivator. When we as, as sinners without God want to do what's wrong. Now I know there was an old judge who said one time, well it may not deter crime, but there'll sure Lord be a different crowd doing it. And, and I'd agree with that. But it doesn't deter crime. Because fear is a terrible motivator. And I think sometimes in our churches we have not told people enough about their blessed identity in Christ, how they are loved because of His nature and because of, of God's power and His desire and not because of their own. That their relationship with God does not depend on their behavior, but it depends upon the power of God. That is just an awesome thought, and I think if I could go back I would absolutely spend 43 years preaching it to death. I think it is so important. There is a, a book that some of you have already told me you are reading. I came across it this week. I've read a lot of it already. But it, there was an article that I posted on my Facebook page. You can go there and look at it. It was an article by the Christian Coalition. And uh, at the bottom of the article was this book. And it looked interesting to me. The title of the book is Identity Theft. And the subtitle is Reclaiming the Truth of Who We Are in Christ. Now, nowadays, identity theft means you got my credit cards and you're pretending to, to be me. That won't last very long, but you can give it a try. Uh, but but that, the identity theft that happens to us sometimes, many times, I'm going to say most of the time spiritually is we have lost our identity to Satan. Satan has convinced us that we are not who we really are in Jesus Christ. And uh, man alive, it was a, it, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. You can find it on my Facebook page. It'll be one of the top few posts there. 
and uh, read the article. I highly recommend it. And then at the bottom, I think you can get the book for free. They only ask for donations, so you might want to send them one. That would be nice. But let me just give you an excerpt from the book. In Genesis chapter 3, just a few short chapters after the Scripture reveals our calling as image bearers of God. That's who God called us to be. We see the first man and the first woman reject their God-given identity when they rejected His authority over them. Tempted by the serpent's promise that they would become like God Himself, they reached out for the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate. And they reached out for independence, for self-determination, for freedom. But instead, what they grasped was only sorrow, confusion, and death. You remember we talked recently about the four kinds of love that we find in the Greek New Testament. And don't forget that the God type of love, agape, Love is dependent on the agent that is doing the loving, not the object that is receiving the love. And, and those things are great. It's a great promise. We can amen them and, 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 and we get excited about hearing that. But when it comes to living our lives, I think it is hard for us. We have been, we have been so molded and so shaped by culture and I think by terrible preaching and teaching in our churches that our relationship with God is based pretty much on whether or not we behave. How well are you doing? Are you cussing less? <laughs> you know, uh, really. Uh, I didn't hear a, a yes, but I'll assume some of you are doing better at that. Another excerpt from the books asks, Do you doubt such a love can exist? Do your circumstances make you wonder if the Father really cares? Does your past tempt you to think that you are unlovable or unworthy? Now, we may not say that. And we may sing to high heaven, Oh, how He loves you and me and all of that. But I think in the back of a lot of our minds, most of us, I think most of us feel like that, boy, I, I, I got to do better, or, or when I fail, how could God possibly love and care about me? And, 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 and you've heard preaching here about how we are saints. We are. We're already saints because of what Jesus Christ has done. But I know that you are just like me. You and I both know that we still sin, don't we? I mean, that's just a reality of it. You, there's no need to try to deny that. Uh, uh, we, we've got this uh, slide rule thing, I think, in our mind about, well, now there's some sins I, I've not committed. It really doesn't matter. You remember James says, if you break one part of the law, you have broken the whole law. And I will tell you now, there is not a person in this building this morning that does not sin. And yet, in Christ, we are already considered saints it's not something we hope to achieve in the afterlife it's not something that can bequeath to us uh, by the catholic church uh, 
it, it is nothing of that nature. It, it's been grossly misunderstood. But we are already declared righteous and justified because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. But then there's the old me. We still sin, don't we? Martin Luther gave us a little Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. Simul is a Latin word for simultaneously, and justus is the word for justified or righteous. Et is the word and. Remember Shakespeare, uh, et tu brute means and you too, Brutus. And, and then, of course, the last word, picator, is Latin for sinner. And what Martin Luther said, he was a great reformer and he helped to rescue the faith, I guess you would say, from Catholicism. But one of the things that he said, we are simultaneously justified and sinner. We are sinners by our actions. We all are going to fail. But we have been declared righteous by God. Already we have been declared righteous by God. And don't let that be lost on you because yes, we still fail. And yes, we still uh, mess up. And I, I can tell you now, if you don't think you do, it's because you have a weak understanding of sin. If I fail to glorify God in a circumstance in, in some way, if I could have done more to have magnified His name or whatever, all of those things are sins. It's where I fall short of God's glory. But I will tell you, I have been declared righteous before God, not because of me, but because of His righteousness that He gave to me as a gift of God grace. That's what we call being saved. Well, he mentions this business of election. Make sure of your election here. You know, one of the things that makes us shy away sometimes from the idea of election, even though it's very much New Testament, and it's been abused uh, in some circles. I understand that. But here is the thing that we get to thinking about with election. We start to ask questions like, well, I just can't believe that there is anybody that God would not choose. Well, that's the wrong question. The right question is, I can't believe that God would choose anybody. Anybody. And I will tell you this about election. If you want to be saved, he'll save you. Do you want to be saved? Do you feel conviction in your heart? Do you feel God pulling you and calling you? It's not like you got to the door and found out that it was locked. He is the door. Christ is the door. If you want to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you can. Now, if you just want to judge God and hold Him accountable for all the things you don't understand, I can't help you. But I can tell you God will save you if you seek Him and want to be saved. But He chose us. And we shy away from that. But just think about it. He chose us. I, I know I talk about my wife a lot. and I know it embarrasses her, but it's just too bad. I married the prettiest girl that I ever dated. 
And she'll tell you that that's true. <laughs> I can't believe she would even look at me. She was so pretty. I was so nervous around her. But she loved me. And she didn't just love me back then. She loves me now. Oh, yeah. I could sing like Elvis at one time. Had a head full of hair. Mama. Them days are gone, friend. I look more like his house than I do his picture. But she still loves me. I can tell you one better than that, though. God elected to love me. He chose me. Second Thessalonians. Here's a word for us. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. You are loved by God because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit. That Don't read that part too fast. Sanctification by the Spirit. How do we live like God wants us to live? How is it that we sanctify ourselves? We don't sanctify ourselves. The Spirit of God sanctifies us. And that's through the power of the Spirit of God. That's how we overcome temptation. Not by trying harder. Not by guilting ourselves to death. Not by going and letting some preacher beat us half to death and then feel like we paid for our sin. No, we are sanctified through the power of the Spirit of God. And if we could, could just get that in our mind instead of having, you know, feeling like, well, I might lose my salvation if I don't straighten up or I hope I don't go to hell. Quit living like that. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and let the Spirit of God separate you from the things that terrorize your life. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Last December, we preached a long series of messages on just a couple of verses in the first chapter of Romans. And one of the things that we talked about was don't leave the key in the door. And I hope some of you remember that. The gospel is the key that opened the door. Falling down and saying, God, I, tr I have to trust in you. I cannot save myself. There's just no way in the world that I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and there wasn't anything in the world that we could do about that. And so the gospel is a key that opened the door to God's salvation, and the gospel is also the key to our daily righteous standing before Him. So don't take on this model in your life where, well, God saved me, and now i got to really work hard and behave myself. And, 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 and I, I, boy, I'm on my own now. God gave me a, a second chance. Man, I'll tell you, that's terrible theology. If he had given me a second chance, I'd have done with it what I did with the first chance. I'd have just kept messing up. I needed to be a whole new person. I needed to be, uh, what's that, born again, yeah. I needed God to save me. 
But when I, as I am saved and as I live for the Lord and I've been saved all these years, sometimes I need a reminder that how am I going to get through the day, God? How am I going to overcome this temptation? How am I going to deal with this guilt, this fear, God? I failed you or whatever it is that I am facing. How do I get through it? I have to get through that the same way I accepted Him as my Savior to fall down before Him and depend totally 100% on His mercy. That's it. It's not just how you get saved. It's how you stay saved. Jude chapter 24, don't ask me, or verse 24. Don't ask which chapter. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, I'm not able. But he's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Man, he can present me blameless. You know, that verse reminds me of when my kids were little and they were just learning to walk. And they'd go across the room and they'd be stumbling and staggering like a drunk. And they'd get all the way across the room, and when they would, they'd turn back and look at Daddy, and I'd be sitting in my chair, and they'd just be smiling, and they usually had about one tooth and slobber hanging down to here, but that was just the cutest thing in the world. I, I still like it when they look like that. But what they didn't know was Daddy had not stayed in that chair. All the way across the room, Daddy's two big old hands was right under that bottom. Didn't touch him, just in case they failed or had him. They had no idea. They thought they had done something all by themselves, and Daddy was so proud. I want to tell you, Daddy was the one that made sure they got there okay. I'm so glad. I have a heavenly father who is just like that now here is here is the irony if we do start out thinking though no bless god we got we got to do it we we got to start living right we and and i'm not saying anything against that it's awesome But when we start feeling like we have to do it on our own, then we begin to try to make it more manageable. That's when we start arguing about what is sin, what's not sin. Is it sin to do something in moderation? Well, we need to talk about that. See, we're we're negotiating now. (laughs) Because if it's on our own, we already know we can't do it. So we try to not be as big a mess up as somebody else is. We start comparing our sin to theirs. We start saying, well, there's some things in this life I've just never done. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to do that. I'll take people out and do stuff like that, and they ought to just shoot them. But what we fail to realize as Christians is there is no difference or degrees of sin. You break one, you have broken the entire law. And this business of eradicating the sin nature, believing that somehow or another when I get saved, if I sing loud enough and shout enough and, and, and do enough stuff like that, and, and boy, just stay excited about Jesus, I won't sin. I know. So I meet people that, that are shy 
uh, about saying that they're sinners. But if you tell me that you don't sin, I can go ahead and tell you now, well, there's your first one, you a liar. So go home and deal with that. But I can tell you this, when we start to think that it's all about us and we've got to do better, that's when we begin to compromise. That's why in a lot of churches that you know of, some of these more independent, legalistic churches. You know, I grew up in a church where women couldn't wear pants. You know, I remember one time I was pastoring a church and somebody said, do y'all wear pants? Yeah. I knew what they meant. But man, some of you that are old enough, and, and if you've had that experience, you know that you know the meaning of that question. I, and I remember there were churches, you know, there still are some today where women don't wear makeup. I am not even going to make a comment about that. I may be dumb, but I'm not that dumb. But I think that's a good thing that they do. I'm just going to say that, okay? Women don't cut their hair or whatever. I can tell you, it can get as legalistic as you want to be. And I don't care how legalistic you are. I promise you there's somebody to the right of you. Just like I don't care how liberal you think they are, I promise you there's somebody that's more liberal. That continuum is eternal, and it goes in every direction. And I don't care those issues. And don't sit there and get caught up in that and go, well, now I'll tell you how I feel about that. Nobody cares. Because it doesn't matter how we feel about those issues. We cannot obey any of the law of God without the power of God and the transformation of God in our hearts and lives. But if we start to think it is all about us and that we've got to do it, I can tell you, then we begin to compromise. Here's, here, here's something we like to say. This is in the article that's on my Facebook page. I encourage you to read it. We say a lot of times, well, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Do you know he does? He does expect us to be perfect. The only way you can get into heaven is to be perfect. Did you know that? Now, if I fall over dead before I get to the rest of this, Mike, please come up and straighten this out, okay? He, you can't go to heaven unless you are perfect. And if you go, well, then I'm never going to make it. That's a good start right there. You might get saved before you leave here today. If you say, I might as well just surrender and give up and quit, we got a song about that. We'll sing that for you. Yes, you should surrender, and you should give up and quit and put your faith and trust in the only one who is perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. What do you think Jesus was talking about when he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we talked about how righteous the Pharisees were. He said, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we could look at other verses. And some people I know, they say, well, Paul said stuff like that. Let me quote somebody else. Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then we'll go, well, surely perfect means just try your best, right? God expects us to do our part. Man, I want to tell you, my part is no good. My righteousness, the Word of God tells me. My righteousness, let's don't even talk about my sin. Let's look at my righteousness. 
In other words, let's look at the, the, the shiny side of the car that's not been wrecked. My righteousness is as filthy rags. Wonder what my sins must look like. It can never be about me. Our best efforts are our worst parts, not our best part. Galatians 3.10 Paul writes this, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's Galatians 3.10. Curses anybody who does not abide by all the things in the law and does them. You remember Galatia thought, well, we'll trust in Christ, but we're also going to add some old Judaism in there, and we're going to circumcise these Gentiles, and we're going to make them turn into Jews first, and then they can come to know Christ. And man, Paul condemned that. The only letter he wrote that did not have a sweet thank God for you section at the very front of it. Even when he wrote to Corinth, he called that crowd saints and told them how much he loved them. But when he wrote to the churches at Galatia, he said, you were doing so well. What hindered you? As a matter of fact, the word someone bewitched you. Somebody put a spell on you because you started adding works into it. And in our human mind, we're thinking, well, what could be wrong with that? Yes, we know it's by grace and we know that you know, our works is as filthy rags that we got all of that. But it won't hurt to try our best and it won't hurt to, to do whatever we can on our own. As long as you're not dependent on that to enhance your salvation one little bit. Yeah, we want to serve God in a way that glorifies Him. But it is when we begin to feel like that our efforts have added to our salvation. That is when we have veered from the gospel. And Paul says to the churches of Galatia, he says it is either all of faith in God or it is all of works. It is not a combination of the two. First Peter. We're in Second Peter, but in his first letter, chapter one, verse fifteen. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I don't know about you, but I'm already in trouble if I'm on my own. Since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy. Man. The only way to do it. The only way to do it is with God's help. Augustine said, I love this quote by him. God gives us what he commands of us. Isn't that awesome? He gives us what he commands of us. So please don't hear me. See, now this is the old preacher coming out. Okay, will you just give me a socket? I need, I need to do this or I'm going I'm to feel guilty when I go home today. Okay? <laughs> I'm not telling you, well, you just go live like you want to. I have never preached that and the Word of God never teaches that. I am telling you this, though. The irony is you will walk closer to God, cuss less, treat your wife better, love her, love him, 
Yeah, God can make you love him. I can tell you your life, as far as the behavior scale, if you want to talk about that, and the things you're still doing that you know you should have quit years ago, I'm telling you, you'll do far better with all of that. You'll misbehave far less if you begin to stand on your relationship and who you are in Christ Jesus and live by His power and not by your own. It's incredible. So, we are holy already because we've been justified. We are becoming holy because the Holy Spirit of God is sanctifying us and one day we will be completely holy because one day we will be glorified. Let me just say this and I'll move on. All of this started when a woman named Eve, and I'm not blaming it all on her, she had a husband named Adam standing around there somewhere. When a woman named Eve looked at God and perceived that he must be some kind of deceptive dictator who's holding out on us. And on our own, we may be able to achieve more if we do it our way than if we do it his. And the world's been messed up ever since. Ever since, man, the song called Oh Holy Night, it's the one song that the most, that I would say it's unique and that most of the people that sing it can't, okay? <laughs> but it's a beautiful song. I just don't want to hear most people sing it. Oh Holy Night, long, just one line out of it, long lay the world in sin and era pining pining away in sin and error till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Did you know you're valuable to God? The soul finally felt its worth and its value before God. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's, that's where it counts. Why don't he give me my hand back? It's okay. I, I, I mean, if he wants to, hey. I'm, I'm, I'm learning that you digress the older you get in all areas of your body. I was tying a fishing knot. I did a little fishing yesterday. I was tying a fishing knot with my teeth. My teeth aren't so good anymore. <laughs> and I was trying to bite the fishing line, and I was trying to find two teeth that went together so they could get hold of it. Because I tie them with my hand and with my one hand and, and with my teeth, and I do all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff like that to get by. If God wants to give me back my hand, fine. But I want to tell you, 
where God's blessings wait for me is not in this temporal realm. It is in the eternal realm. That doesn't mean He doesn't bless me here, but in heavenly places, I want to tell you something, it is going to be awesome. And since I'm only going to be here for a little while, and I'm going to live there forever, I think that's just an awesome idea. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us to be that before the, He ever even started creation. In love. No, not as some kind of tyrant. No, but in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself. To himself. As sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. If you've ever adopted a child, you're the one that did all the work. You're the one that paid all the money. You're the one that filled out all the paperwork. That child could not do one single thing to help with that adoption process. That child played no role in it whatsoever. You as a parent did all of the work. So for me to become a child of God, I can tell you, I could not do any of it. God had to do it all for me. I want to say one more thing and we'll move to verse 11. There's what's called the lie of the slave. It's also been called before, I've read it, called the lie of the orphan. It says, I must work hard to earn the love of others. Mess up once, and you're out. My worth is tied to my ability to produce and behave. Always working, never resting. The orphan always feels that he or she has to earn that love has to make him or herself lovable so they can be loved. And unfortunately, too many of us as Christians, we live like orphans. We live like orphans. Verse 11, and we'll close. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about this. As you go home today, we have been given. It was provided for us despite our need to grow and all of that and persevere. And he wants us to do all of that. I want to tell you, no one is going to heaven because they deserved it. I'm tired of going to funerals, folks, and hearing people say, well, if old brother, what's his name here, didn't make it, I'm just going to give up. Give up. Because if old brother, what's his name here, made it, it's not because of anything that he did. You see how we, it, we you, it's, you hear it at almost every funeral you go to. Because that's our natural inclination to make it about being good. Uh, make it about winning the trophy. Making it about us. I have a dear sweet grandma in heaven that I praise God for who loved the Lord with all of her heart. But I can tell you right now, she's not in glory because of any good thing 
that she ever did in her life. She is there because of the grace of Jesus Christ. If you go, that's how you'll go. It's an eternal kingdom. I love that about it. It lasts forever. Three things and we close. We'll close with these. What is the kingdom like? It's all in this verse. When it's eternal. I love that. It's never going to end there. Riley Faith Steep. A lot of you prayed for her. Probably like me, you never met her. She was the little girl a lot of us prayed for that had cancer. She lived in Simpsonville, South Carolina, I believe. Some of the folks I went to school with knew about her and started posting things, and I started praying and sending messages to her parents. She died. Cancer. So precious, that child was so beautiful even when she was sick man what a gorgeous little creation of God she died you know it's been said that sometimes faith is about climbing the mountain that stayed sometimes mountains move and sometimes they don't Sometimes you have to climb them. Eternal. I'll be so glad when we get there. <laughs> She's already there. He says there will be its future. We look forward to that in faith. I can give you this assurance. Life won't always be like it is here now. I, uh, an adjective fails me. If you had told me that we'd be fighting to try to keep drag queens from teaching our elementary school students how to be queer, I'd have said, look, we have some problems, but we're not going to be there. That's what we got. But it won't always be like this. And then last of all, and our Lord and Savior, it's of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, if you're sitting here wondering, what if I don't make it, though? I can tell you, the only way to make it is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's his kingdom. And when he says, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that indicates a relationship. That's not just believing he exists. That's not just knowing about him, singing about him, going to church and hearing about him. That's having a relationship with him. That's important. Let's pray. God, I pray you'd help us, Lord. Help us, God, today to get a fresh understanding of what it means have been chosen by you chosen by you and loved by you to have you care for us like you do and to know Lord that we'll be loved tomorrow and the next day and forever not because of us but because of you 
I pray you'd help us, God, as Christians to stop living like orphans. Lord, there's a lot of misbehavior in your church. In churches all across this country, the pastors are resigning. Fundamentalist, legalistic churches are plagued, God, with crises and spiritual failure. Television ministries, Lord, are rife with deception and deceit. Lord, help us to understand why. Help us to understand, God, that we have to stop this contest of who can keep the rules best. And understand we can keep none of them. And that we failed in all of them. And that it is only by your power and might that we can be saved, stay saved, and we'll be saved throughout eternity. Help us with that, God. Forgive me, Lord, for not having preached on it more. Lord, I was so ignorant when I began my ministry. I, I didn't understand it either. I, I, I didn't come out of that background, Lord. You know that. I pray, God, those souls I may have misled, I pray you guide them, Lord. Heal what I may have hurt through good intentions but ignorance. I pray, Father, you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to live as you would want us to live in a way that is holy and glorifies you by your power and your might. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week. 